You are listening to Conversations with Akila. Please be aware you are getting ready to listen to an episode that is intended for a mature audience only. There may be some topics that offend those who are not ready to hear it or who may be or may have been triggered in the past by certain topics. Please keep in mind, I am not here to offend or disrespect or upset any entity as my views and my opinions are my own. I will remain respectful as you can do the same. Thank you. Hello there and welcome back to Conversations with Akila. Oh my God, as soon as I start recording my throat, <clears throat> it never, it never fails. Yes, thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time here, welcome, welcome, welcome. Be prepared to be hooked because I'm lit and it's lit over here. And if this is your second, third or fifth, fourth, tenth, whatever time back, thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning back in. Thank you for listening. Your support, oh my gosh, is very much appreciated. And I am tremendously grateful for it. Uh, This episode will be on part two of chapter one in the book that I have been reviewing and reading on Instagram. If you're not following me on Instagram, please be sure to head on over there. Uh, My name, my handle is my name at Akila Peinado uh, and get with it, okay? This book's name is Sexuality and the Black Church and holy moly, I don't, um, let's see, like I don't have the proper words. I don't think there's enough time for me to discuss all of this. It is, let me tell you this, the first part of this book, I'm sure all of it is very intense according to whomever, um, everyone's level of intensity is different, but for me, someone who is a history buff, I love history. I love learning about history, especially African, African-American history, English, um, history, yada, 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 Caribbean history. And I've had to pause a few times reading this. It was just a little bit too much like this book, um, miss or doctor. I'm not exactly sure. Um, Kelly Brown Douglas does a phenomenal job of researching and writing out this information in a clear and concise way. And with that, she has included some testimonials. Oh, and that has been rough. You know, um, it's one thing to hear about it from a removed place, you know. Okay, this is what happened. You know, you learn about these things in classroom, this in the classrooms or whatever. This is what happened. This is what happened. But when you can read an actual verified certified testimony of how our ancestors my ancestors were treated and what they had to endure it is it's it's, it was it was too much some of it i had just had to glaze over because i couldn't handle it if you haven't listened to part one it is up please do yourself a favor that is about sexuality and the christian tradition very eye-opening too um, as I read more and more, and as I read more and more of this book, I was like, okay, I can see a lot of the correlation of why sex and the idea of being a sexual being, especially in the traditional church, is so frowned upon and looked down upon because 
yes, I'm doing the history of all of this, but you also have to do your own personal history and think about the things that you've experienced and the things that you've heard and the things that you've seen if you are a religious person or a person that's in the traditional Christian church or not. And boy, oh boy, some of this is very, very um, personal. <laughs> While I'm reading it, like, oh, I have a story to go with that. I have a story to go with that. You know, like, it's crazy. Um, I don't know. Let me just jump right into it. So, like I said, part two is the title. The part, the title of part two is where am I? The title of part two, the title of part two, where, where, did, it, where did it go? Okay, is stereotypes, false images, and terrorism, the white assault upon black sexuality. And I titled my notes because you know I wrote notes because it's a lot of information to uh, maintain just by myself. I'm getting old, y'all. I ain't young like first time. I can't just retain it. I mean, I can, but it does help to have notes. And it just talks about the root, the the root of, of the attack where this idea of um, how people were explored and viewed sexually began. And the book goes on to talk about how it really started with the European travelers, you know, before slavery was the chattel slavery that we know of um today people yes did travel to um africa um on the coast of africa they went they did traveling and they would go there and they would see women in particular dressed in nothing let's say and we all know why if it wasn't you know a tribal thing many of the wear and the and the type of clothing that was adorned in Africa had a lot to do with the climate. It's hot as hell over there. So no, they were not going to be wearing long skirts and long shirts, which was indicative of what a woman would be wearing in the 17th and 18th century or even the 16th century. There are some studies that go back that far of travels to Africa from European, like Portugal, Spain, I think even England too. Um, and they took it upon themselves to say that these people must be barbarians and they must be um they're lewd and lascivious because why aren't why don't these women have their privies is what they called it why don't they have their privies covered and instead of taking the time to really get to know the african culture of whatever um peninsula or because you know sometimes there weren't names to the particular countries that these people visited they judged them they judged them right off the back and a lot of this happened with how they dress simply based off of how they dress not based off of any sexual encounter like oh i had sex with a with a black uh, with an african woman or a negro is what they called them back then too and it was the most wildest sex i had known the women were who they were because of how they dressed and i don't know if that rings any bells for you but my god it rings bells for me um and it goes on to talk about how sarah bartman um was one of the first in i would say more modern history to be depicted or begin the actual what's the word official exploration of black sexuality on page 34 into 35 it reads the treatment of sarah bartman further suggests that further suggests perhaps subtle, the subtle role of the Christian tradition 
in the attack upon black sexuality. The depiction of Sarah Bartman is representative of the manner in which black men and black women were to be depicted by white culture. They were portrayed, they were portrayed, sorry, as lustful and passionate beings. That nature, that such a nature served as sufficient proof of black people's inferiority and thus their need to be dominated by white people, no doubt reflects the influence of the Western Christian tradition, which condemned human sexuality as evil. So you get it. If if the black person is overly sexualized and seen as seen upon as lewd and lascivious and sensual, and the culture, the domineering culture looks at being sexual or being a sexual being as evil, then that person that the cultural saying is sexual is evil. Like that was how they made the deduction. And it's sickening. Like even when I was reading about the treatment of Sarah Bartman, I don't know if you guys um, have ever heard of her. If you haven't, you can Google her. There's a ton of information on her. Oh my God, how she was treated, how she was put on display. And even after she died, y'all, they were still examining her body. They were still like it goes on to talk about the autopsy prepared um, in a way as allowed to see one the nature of the labia, meaning they was they was examining her her private areas to see if anything if anything made her different as a woman compared to black women. It says Sarah Bartman's sexual parts, her genitalia and her bot her buttocks would serve as a central image for the black female throughout the 19th century. It's just she was degraded she was dehumanized which is a big part <laughs> of this chapter the dehumanization of the black person of the african person is a very very huge part of how all of this um started and it's it was difficult to read sometimes people were just trying to survive but it, it goes deeper let me let me keep going um let me see. There's another part that he, that says here, essentially the treatment of black women has become the basis for the exercise of white power over black bodies. Ain't that something? As Robert Staples points out, in no other area are there so many stereotypes and myths as in that of the black female sexuality. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Stereotypes and false images surrounding black female sexuality provide the foundation for sexual exploitation and humiliation of black men, as well as fostering notions of white male and female superiority. There is nothing, as far as I know, physical, other than our hair or our skin type or whatever, like blankly physical that makes us any different than our white counterparts. I think the delusion, and it has to be a delusion. I really do feel as if there is some level of mental illness for you to think that a set of people were simply different from you because of their skin color and how they dressed. And to know that a set of people has been terrorized and traumatized for hundreds of years based off those two things is just insane like when you talk about it out loud it really makes no sense 
It really, it really doesn't. But what, what kind of blew me away with that, with that um, area that I was reading is the dehumanization and degradation of the black man happened because of the black woman. And if you know anything about Christianity and, you know, more foundational modern Christianity, meaning like not ancient, like biblical or anything like that, but when things were being recorded more so like in the 15, oh, 1400s, maybe 1300s, that women, women in a whole are the reason for the fall of man. <laughs> so I find that correlation just insane because yes, there is a school of thought that Eve is the reason why man fell. And you know, I have a whole theory on that because Eve was not given the edict to not eat. It was Adam and Adam is the one who disobeyed. So how Eve became the reason of the fall, I will never understand. However, to hear that these white people of the time felt like, okay, let's degrade the white woman and that will give us the power and the access to degrade the black man is just, mm -mm -mm. it really is. Let me tell you something, y'all. This book, this book, oof. Oh, it goes on to talk about the Jezebel. The next part that comes up is that. If you are not sure on who Jezebel is, I don't know what to tell you other than you can go to First Kings chapter 16, and you should be able to learn a little bit about her. A little overview, basically. Um, she was, she was married to King Ahab and, um, again, accused of destroying a whole kingdom. Okay. Although Ahab was the king, but it is Jezebel, his queen, his counterpart, who is, who gets the accusation. I'm sure you never even heard of her counterpart of her husband, Ahab. Have you? Like, be honest. Have you ever heard of him? But you're damn sure, excuse my language, have heard of Jezebel. Okay. Um, okay, so Jezebel, what the book goes on to say about her. This came, this idea of the Jezebel came out of the idea of slavery. The Jezebel symbol is one of an evil, scheming, and seductive woman. How I find people who are enslaved to be accused of being that another mind-blowing appetite the jezebel has been described as having an insatiable sexual appetite being ex extraordinarily passionate and being sexually aggressive and cunning ooh, ooh, ooh. such as such a stereotyping has produced a paramount image for black womanhood in white culture ain't that something i find it interesting that the Jezebel, meaning the black woman Jezebel, is the only one who could be sexual and um, scheming and evil. <laughs> it's hilarious to me. Um, I find it. I find it very funny. Um, how and I've done a whole episode on Jezebel um, before. It's just all of this insane is insane. Black women were helplessly trapped in the mythology of being Jezebels by the very institution that demanded them to be precisely that. The more entrenched the Jezebel image became, the easier it was to justify treating black women in inhumane ways. Once enslaved, females were considered Jezebels, then all manner of treatment of them were deemed appropriate. So automatically, off the cuff, 
a woman was a Jezebel. It goes on to say, they could be worked brut brutally in the fields, displayed on public auction blocks like cattle and exploited as breeders. Mm -mm -mm. There's a testimony in here that I'm gonna share. It says, this was taken from, this testimony came from, this is from the book written by Tap Gross and Lewis Smith. It's called Slave Testimony, Two Centuries of Letters, Speeches, Interviews, and Autobiographies, published in 1977. And this testimony goes on to read, each slave, whether female or male, is bought up to the block and sometimes stripped entirely of all clothing that the buyer may examine as to any bodily defect and their persons are handled like oxen or horses and each is sold separately to the highest bidder. It goes on to say right here in St. Louis, men and women have been stripped stark naked and examined by the critical eyes of prospective purchasers as though they were dumb driven cattle. Mm -mm -mm. Because that's exactly, I don't know if you've ever, you probably never heard of a, a farm auction or anything like that, but that is, that's even the term where don't look a gift horse in the mouth comes from. Like we were, these people were treated like literal animals and you know, it, they were also bred um, in the style of animals too. There's some parts of this um, era of the Jezebel and the foundation of it that talked about how they would have like literal breeding sessions for the slaves, like literal, like, okay, I have, I have a young, I have a young, strong black male. And I think you have a, a young, strong black woman. Let's breed them together so we can have young, strong children slaves. Like that was the idea. And if you know anything about breeding animals, that is also the idea too, especially horses. So this is insane. Like it, it's, it's, just, it's just heartbreaking. And what I find even more, and what I find even more disturbing is that yes, okay, fine. She's a Jezebel, fine. She's less than fine. The, the slave woman is no good, but why, why couldn't the slave master leave her alone? Mm -hmm. Because if you are treating people like animals, because in your ideology and the overall governing ideology of this time in which I'm reading, black slaves were inhumane. They were beasts as we will learn in the young buck section. Mm -hmm. They were beasts, they were this. So if the white master couldn't keep his hands off of the black slave, was he participating in bestiality? Is that what he was doing? Because how do you say this black slave is an animal, even likened unto apes and gorillas, I read. Like, this is disgusting. But yet you can't keep your hands off of her, you can't stop raping her, you can't stop making her get pregnant with your kids, <laughs> with your children, right? And it's justified. I'm confused by the, by the, by the, I don't get it. I'm just confused by the logic of that. Then I don't understand how you justify that because you're sleeping with your white wife and you are also sleeping with the black slave. So is the slave an animal or are you um, practicing bestiality? What is it? Is she human? Is she not? Because I don't understand how your wife could have children the same way 
And when you sleep with a black slave, she has your kids the same way. And there was no, there was no, as far as I know, physical defect any different, as far as I know, other than that child came out a little bit darker because, you know, they had like a, a more melanated hue because of the mother. Hmm. Interesting. Very, 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 very interesting. It's It's a sickening thing, but... I'm not reading it to be annoyed. I'm reading this for information <laughs> because as you know, like I want to go more to talk about because my, my overall mission, I guess, if you want to call it a mission, I don't think it's a mission. I don't, I don't think anyone cares about what I have to say that much, but my overall idea of why I decided to go this route is because I want to talk about why is sex such a taboo topic in the church. Like I want to talk about that. And this book is helping me lay the foundation of why here we are three, four, five, six hundred years later, and we are still made to be seen as if we don't, we're not, we weren't born with the sexual part of us. Most of us were, and there's a, I mean, granted, there's people out there who do not um, indulge in sexual feelings, that's fine, but to make those who do have the sexual feeling feel as if they shouldn't is a problem. Okay. Um, ba, 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 ba. Let's see, what is next? I think I want to read just one more one more part um from the jezebel from the jezebel era because it's just <sighs> also made clear from the slave stories is the fact that white molesters were not held accountable for their misdeeds <laughs> or responsible for any offsprings that may have resulted from their sexual rampages man that i read this on i read this part on instagram and that it's just sickening. It is. It is sickening. It. It really is. Mm -mm -mm. It's you. You. They raped these young girls. In the in this passage, it goes on to talk about how young girls, as young as twelve, as soon as they hit puberty and started menstruating, which they called them women. Now these are children, twelve and thirteen years old, were having babies, babies. And sometimes these babies were by the slave masters. Like you've got, so you're not just a beast. You're a molester. You're a pedophile. Like there, it goes so deep. It goes so deep and it makes my stomach sick. Okay. The next part was interesting too. Mamie. So we've all heard of Mamie's, you know, the whole Aunt Jemima look. She's the older black female on the um on maple syrup that is no longer um the case anymore but it's funny i was out to lunch um with a client and i we were in a diner and the former aunt jemima bottle was on the table across from us and they were there were an older white couple i mean older they had to be in their 70s and maybe they had their grandchild with them because he looked like he had to be no more than 17 years old and he was like Oh, look, look, they, I forgot what they're calling it now, but look now, look, look, they're calling it um, this now, grandma and grandpa. And the woman said, oh, yeah, it's just ridiculous. Child, y'all know I wanted to get up and say, really, is it? Is it ridiculous to have a black woman's face removed from something that de degrades what we are and what we represent? It's ridiculous. I was sick to my stomach. Yes, guys, yes even in New Jersey, even in the North, 
even in 2022, there is still a school of thought of people out there who feel as if black people should not have any level of autonomy over their image, over their body, over their thoughts. Yeah, it exists. Don't get it twisted. It does. The Mamie, let me see. According to the book is defined as the counter image to the Jezebel. On page 41, it reads, uh, 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 uh. Da, 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 da. I thought I had it highlighted. <laughs> um, but yes, it is defined as she is defined as a counter image to the Jezebel. However, that was not always the case. Sometimes the Mamie would be a young woman, a young, attractive woman. And she would be subjected to the hands and other things of her white master as well. Um, so they tended to stay. They t Oh, I did highlight it, guys. It reads, typically, Mamie was an older female and thus conformed to the image of being maternal and asexual. <laughs> so um, she was not um, a human being either back then we we know that being asexual now does not mean you're not human because there is a school of thought out there who do um deem themselves as that but back then they had no clue about what that meant right um the mamie was on call 24 hours she was at the beck and call of her white mistress she took care of their home and her home she was not um allowed she was not allowed to just take care of the white family's children, but she was also responsible for taking care of her children. So yes, for some of these women, they worked from sunup to sundown. Worse if the Mamie had a breastfeeding child age, oh, she would be responsible for breastfeeding the white mistress's um, uh, baby as well, which is another thing I find funny. So we're, we're now, okay, we're going with the same school of thought, beast, um stupid no good disgusting we were dirty all of that but good enough good enough to put their breast in the white child's mouth i will i will never get it i will i will never i will never understand it the mamie was the perfect idea of a slave a sexual had no prettiness to her, had no pizzazz, no sensuality. Therefore, she was the ideal level of Southern antebellum behavior. That was what she was. And I mean, yes, they were beat. Yes, some mamies were beat, but they were definitely were not beat as much as a field slave. They were abused. Um, and I, I, it was definitely more probably psychological abuse that happened in the homes but there was a there's a there was a certain amount of rape that happened to the mamie as well do not get it twisted just because she was seemed as asexual had nothing to do with the white man not being attracted to her let's make that very very clear um so that was um that was very very interesting another thing that i found interesting is by acting it reads as a surrogate mother mamie allowed white women to maintain their Victorian role as perfect mothers. While white women may have handed down certain moral and religious values to their children, Mamie performed the more mundane and physical tasks of rearing children, even to the point of nursing white infants. Despite being labeled asexual, Mamie still performed the kind of functions that reflected black women's so-called sensual nature. 
Barbara Christian explains, all the functions of Mamie are magnificently physical. They involve the body as sensuous, as funky, the part of woman, the part woman that white Southern America was profoundly afraid of. Mamie then harmless in her position of slave, unable because of her all giving nature to do harm is needed as an image, a surrogate to contain all those fears of the physical of the physical um, female. Patricia Hill Collins goes further and says, good, in quotation, white mothers are expected to deny their female sexuality and devote their attention to the moral development of their offspring. I'll read that again. Good white mothers are expected to deny their female sexuality and devote their attention to the moral development of their offspring. In contrast, the Mamie image is one of an asexual woman, a surrogate mother in blackface, devoted to the development of the white family. Mm-mm-mm. So white women were not allowed to explore their sexuality with their white husbands because that did not reflect a good mother, a good white mother. So where were these men going to have sex? Where were these men going to get their sex from? <laughs> child this is just something this is something Mamie was it says thus the perfect image for antebellum southerners as the personification of the ideal slave and the ideal woman Mamie was an ideal symbol of the patriarchal tradition she was not just a product of the culture uplift theory she was also a product of the forces that in the South raised motherhood to sainthood. As a part of the benign slave tradition and as a part of the cult of domesticity, Mamie was a centerpiece in the antebellum Southerners perception of the perfectly organized society. Mamie symbolized race and sex relations at their best. She was once black and female. In reality, as well as a mythology, both blacks and women were ultimately subservient to who? White males. Mm, mm, mm. It, it, it just, it just, it, it's just confusing. Like as I read deeper and deeper into it, it is just. I, I know I keep saying it over and over, but it's. It is just crazy and like sometimes I wish I could go back into that time right and be like what the hell were y'all thinking tell me how tell me how this ideology makes any sense tell me how this ideology is even remotely lucid you guys sound insane you guys are acting insane and quite frankly you are and unfortunately for those bases of you know slavery and all of these ideologies about black women black children black men blah blah blah. here we are in 2022 suffering because of that and and the, and the gotcha is in 2022 many a white people know it is wrong they do even in the south they know but they refuse to accept it because if you accept the fact that black people are equal what does that say about you what does that say? Now, don't get me wrong. I got white people out there who I love. So, guys, I'm not talking about y'all. I'm not talking to y'all. Because I got some white people out there who will cut 
a person, I'm not joking, I am not joking, who will cut somebody for talking against a black person. I'm not asking you, I just had it happen to me the other day. Someone said to me, oh my God, someone said da 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 and I was appalled. <laughs> I just had it happen. So I know for a fact, there are some white people out there who don't play that. Don't talk nothing bad about no black people, no brown people, no nothing, if you don't want this heat. So I'm not talking to y'all, but I'm talking to your counterparts who just haven't gotten a memo yet. Mm-hmm. Tell me how you, tell me how. Tell me how you thinking that we are inferior to you makes you any better. Tell me how. The next part goes on to talk about <laughs> violent bucks. Do you know what a buck is? I believe a buck is a horse. I'm gonna Google that right now as we as we are in the middle. Yeah, I'm doing this in real time. I'm not editing nothing because y'all getting the real deal. I, you know what? I'm not even good at it, so why even try? <laughs> so I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you the idea of what a buck is. I mean, the definition of what a buck is right now. Mm -mm -mm. A buck, the male. Oh, this is according to dictionary from Oxford languages taken from Google. The male of some horned animal, especially the fallow deer, roe deer, reindeer, or antelopes. Second definition, a vaulting horse. Of a horse to perform a buck, oppose or resist. So yeah, animals, yeah, the violent buck. And the violent buck is in reference to the black man. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna read this whole part. These images of black womanhood provided a gateway to the dehumanization of black men. The Jezebel character in particular has provided an excuse for the sexual degradation of these males. That black women were considered sexual reprobates provided white culture with the fundamental proof of the inevitable nature of black men's sexual perversion. Isn't that interesting? Sexual perversion? <laughs> that black women what Jezebel's meant that black men had no choice but to be passionate and lascivious if for no other reason than to fulfill the sexual desires of the hot black woman. Hey, what? One Southern female writer put it bluntly in a popular 19th century periodical. They, in parentheses, black women, are evidently the chief instrument of the degradation of the men in their race. In order to complement the unrestrained black woman, white culture portrayed black men as wild, bestial, violent bucks. Hmm. As a buck, the enslaved male was quite useful to slaveocracy. He was deemed a powerful animal, not only in terms of his ability to produce work, but also in terms of his ability to breed offspring, yet indispensable as this image of the black buck was to the institution of slavery, it posed a potential threat to the peace and sanctity of the white world. For if being a Jezebel meant that black women were seducers, then being a buck meant that the black men were sexual predators. sexual predators it goes on to talk about the size of the black man's penis and um how white culture seemed trapped by his own insidious racist logic 
The Jezebel was not a desired partner for the black buck. So he was propelled toward white women. The superpotency and reality of the black male might mean also might also mean that white women were erotically attracted to him. Mm, 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 mm. So basically white men were jealous. <laughs> basically white men were jealous of black men, just like how black white women were jealous of the black woman. Absolutely. There's books like there's serious books on that, like for real. Um, yeah, this is this is this is disgusting in the section on castration because oh yes oh yes honey during slavery black men were castrated let's not make any mistakes on that it was a penalty for running away sometimes oh it's definitely a punishment or so they say i think they took pleasure in doing it because it got rid of another big penis out there um but once a black man was castrated uh, the white master did not have to worry about him being around his white wife, although he was not having sex with his white wife, meaning the white master. He definitely didn't want his wife, white, white wife being pleasured by a black young buck. In, 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 just, just, I'm gonna read this part. Castration of Negroes clearly indicated a desperate generalized need in white men to persuade themselves that they were really masters and always masterful, and it illustrated dramatically the ease with which white men slipped over into treating Negroes like their bulls and stallions whose spirits could be subdued by emasculation. In some colonies, moreover, the specific sexual aspect of castration was so obvious, (laughs) was so obvious as to underline how much the white man's insecurities the Negro was and fundamentally sexual. Yeah. I do not have any opinion on the size of a black man's penis versus the size of a white man's penis that I have no opinion on that either way, shape or form anyway. However, they clearly did. The the white overall governing factions of the time had a huge opinion on the black man's penis and how it had to be controlled. It goes on to say by Leon Litwack, I spoke about him before to endorse lynching because lynching was also a way to let me let me let me get the definition of, of why lynching came to part. As assiduous as castration was no crime against the black man was more clearly indicated the white male fear of black male sexuality or power than lynching. The phenomenon of lynching clearly exemplifies Foucault's understanding of the relationship between sexual discourse and the exercise of power. Sounds a lot like rape, right? <laughs> so in a sense, the, ma- the beginning of lynching was in a way a, a way for Black men to be raped by, uh, let's say, the system, okay? White society was able to easily embrace lynching as a necessary means for protection against such a passionate animal. Leon Litwack explains to endorse lynching was to dwell on the sexual depravity of blacks to raise the specter of the black beast seized by uncontrollable savage passions that were inherent in in the race. That is an inhumanity, depravity, bestiality, bestiality, 
T and savagery practiced by white participants in lynching would be justified in the name of humanity, morality, justice, civilization, and Christianity. Sick. Sick, 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 sick. Sick. If the black woman was most vulnerable to rape, the emancipated male, still thought of as a violent buck, was vulnerable to being lynched. Indeed, almost 3,000 black people were reportedly lynched between 1889 and 1918. Some 50 were women and thus the overwhelming number were black men. While lynching were justified, while lynchings were justified by the claim that the white man hanged because he violated the white woman, it was more often simply rumors of rape that led to such lynchings. The real threat to white male supremacy probably rested in the knowledge that some white women were actually attracted to black men and voluntarily entered mm -mm, into a relationship with them. As Gutman has shown, there is a scattered evidence indicating sexual contact and even marital connections between white Southern women and slave and ex-slave men. <laughs> hmm. So the white man couldn't help that black women, that white women were attracted to their black men, which drives me insane because you white slave owners, men, loved the black woman. So I'm confused as to how you're confused that your wife or whomever, your daughter, whatever, wouldn't be thus attracted to the black man. Okay, so even with what was just read, I hope the story of Emmett Till comes to mind. That's just one publicized story. Thank God it got publicized. And as you know, that woman lied. Mm -hmm. She lied. He did not whistle at her. He was not trying to what's the word disrespect her or anything like that but they killed that young boy anyway and now um because the truth has come out she doesn't want to be bothered oh you guys need to go read up on it yes people have found out where she lives <laughs> oh yes they have and she still feels threatened the nerve the audacity of it all i tell you it's the nerve for me it's the nerve it's the nerve it's the nerve. So this chapter ends with how the Mamie in today's culture has now turned into the matriarch of the family. Um, she is the powerful matriarch of the family. She keeps everybody in, in their place. She is the domestic worker. She's all of that uh yeah and then the jezebel one made me chuckle the jezebel in today's culture would be considered the welfare queen wow if you guys are curious about any of this you should really get this book and read it because i i if i was to go in debt with all of my notes and everything that i'm thinking this would be a two-hour podcast and i'm not saying that y'all wouldn't listen to it but it would be a bit much and of course the violent buck has now turned into the violent the violent black man and believe it or not in this chapter it talks about the white culture and emmett teal and 
1955, while visiting relatives in Mississippi, 14-year-old Emmett Till was lynched and mutilated for allegedly whistling, whistling at a white woman. As recently um, as 1989, the Black community in Boston was harshly dealt with after a white man falsely claimed that his pregnant wife was murdered by a black man as it turned out he himself killed her this fact came to light however only after the police infiltrated black communities where they were where they brutally harassed and similarly rounded up black men sounds familiar right what really made me chuckle was how she included the story of oj simpson in here (laughs) oh Because I don't know if you've watched any of the documentaries on O.J. Simpson, but for a long time, O.J. Simpson, well, the the alleged thought is he did not want to be associated with the black culture. But child, when Nicole Simpson Simpson and Ron Brown were murdered, may they rest in peace because how they went out was trifling. When that happened, oh, O.J. Simpson quickly learned what America really thought of him and his smile, okay? (laughs) I'm going to just say this, O.J. did it. Anyway, so she included all of that in here and it was pretty eye-opening really really good the conclusion of this chapter was was really really good i am really enthralled by all of this and and to really be getting the crux of the foundation it goes beyond what we are experiencing and the more up to date i guess modern you know you got to be careful of saying modern church because then people think you're saying new age and god forbid if you say that because that means all kind of stuff but for this instance i have to use that what we are seeing in the modern church here is the foundations of it guys it's not all biblical a lot of this was cultural a lot of this was ethnic (laughs) a lot of this was ignorance okay i'm gonna read the conclusion for y'all Through the exploration of specific stereotypes, this chapter has confirmed that the attack on black people's sexualities is intrinsic to white culture in protecting in the protection of white hegemony, hegemony, sorry, the stereotypes that form the basis of this attack go to the very nature of white culture itself. This is a culture that exists only as it is defined over and against that which is non-white. The images of black women as Jezebels or Mamies and black men as violent bulks bolster ideas of white male and female superiority by presenting a picture of black men and women as inferior. Again, white culture promotes the idea of white supremacy only as this is defined in opposition to that which is non-white. This study of black sexual stereotypes has also shown, as suggested by Foucault, that sexual discourse is instrumental in the exercise of power, especially unjust power. In this case, the use of sexual discourse to distort Black people's sexuality as a means of degrading them has been critical to to the success of white culture. The the startling reality of these findings is that as long as white culture exists, attacks on black sexuality will also exist in some forms. These attacks are as pervasive and endearing as the culture that that has given them birth. And it ends with, the question now is to be asked, what impact has such a sustained and ossidious attack upon? What has sustained 
this uh, Osidious attack upon black people. On to part two. And with that, I will conclude. I do hope you enjoyed this episode as I have enjoyed recording it and talking about it. Because, I mean, as I stated earlier, I am a history lover. So naturally, this would excite me and make me want to talk to everybody about it and make me want to retain it for further conversations and yada, yada, yada. But I hope in some way I am breaking down this book, opening your curiosity and imploring you to think about these things and think about where they apply, excuse me, where they apply in your own life. Yeah. If you're interested, let me know what you think. Please be sure to rate this episode, comment and share with everyone that you know. Please, 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 please. Because, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get international here. I'm trying to have world dominance in this, in this, in this place. Okay. Like, come on, help a girl out. (laughs) Either way, it is my pleasure to serve you in this capacity. Please be sure to tune in for the next episode over on here. Conversations with Akila. Until next time, toodles, 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 toodles. You just finished listening to Conversations with Akila, where I have a lot to say. Okay. Please be sure to tune in every Friday where you can have a conversation with yours truly. We'll be talking about any and everything. Nothing is off the table. Please remember to share this and like it and comment everywhere podcasts are heard. We are on Apple, we are on Spotify, you name it. Your like, your comment, your share will help this podcast grow, grow, grow. I appreciate you. Thank you.